what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by the 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival. This year's film festival will be held September 27th through 29th in Hickory, North Carolina. Learn more by visiting footcandlefilmfestival.com. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films on the Mesh.tv. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival. With me is the other co in that co-title, Chris Fry, also co-director, co-founder, Foot Candle Film Society, Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris Fry, how are you doing? Chris Fry is doing well, as is Chris Fry. (laughs) Good to have you here, as always. We love our time when we get together to talk through some movies and reviews and news items. And today's episode is no exception. This is Foot Candle Films on the Mesh.tv, where we review some recent films. We talk about some upcoming film projects that we've been made aware of. And then we always end the show with a recommendation of a film we think you ought to check out. Uh, maybe worth seeing either something online or something you can find fairly easily that you may have missed or uh, overlooked or just needed to have refreshed in front of you. So today's episode, Chris, we've got two films that we'll be reviewing. One is the latest film from Jordan Peele, his second feature film. It is titled Us. And then we'll be doing a review of the documentary by a director, Peter Jackson, uh, They Shall Not Grow Old, the World War I documentary that he's recently uh, put out. So we're going to talk about those two films. We'll do some news items after the break, and then we'll end up the show with our recommendations. That is our game plan. Chris, are you ready to get started? Yes. Don't pay any attention to the golden pair of scissors I have. Oh, I just now noticed that. Huh. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scare a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Jordan Peele, originally known for his work with Mad TV and the Key and Peele comedy series, made his film directorial debut in 2017 with Get Out, for which he was nominated for three Academy Awards and actually walked away with Best Original Screenplay Oscar. So that was a win for him. Yeah, they're pretty good. With us, Peele returns to the big screen, telling the story of Adelaide, played by Lupita Nyong'o, who, while vacationing at the beach, encounters a set of doppelgangers that begin terrorizing her family. With his first film, Get Out, some audience members were confused when Peele, who they had associated so closely with comedy, seemed to decide to blend comedy and horror genres together. Afterwards, reportedly distressed with the labeling of Get Out as a comedic horror film, Peele said, okay, I think I'm going to try something a little different. And with us, maybe he seems to have distanced himself a little bit from comedic elements. I don't know. What's your feeling on that, Alan? And does the apparent 
apparent commitment to a single genre affect your enjoyment, if at all, of us? Um, you know, the movie had still has some comedic elements to it. And there's actually some elements that you know, we're going to it's going to be really difficult to talk about this film without spoiling, but I'm going to be very broad in general as best I can. Okay, fair enough. There are enough moments, even with the commentary that you could almost argue is happening throughout the film that has some elements of comedy to it. Hmm. But I will definitely say this is less comedic than Get Out. Okay. Um, and I also think it was scarier. Okay. And more thrilling. So if he was trying to distance himself a little bit from... I think he, honest, he's think? inching away. He didn't run completely far away from it, but <laughs> okay. he did step away a little bit from it. Sure. I'm still thinking there are some moments, especially uh, you know within the family dynamics and even the relationship between um, Adelaide, the, the played by uh, Nyong'o, and then Winston Duke playing her husband. husband. Mm-hmm. There's enough funny moments between them and dialogue, especially with the husband himself. He gets to play kind of comic relief sure. for a good part of the film. So there's still comedy. There's still some moments where they take a very horrific scene and still add a little bit of a light touch to it, but it's definitely further away from that comedy horror label than get out was. Um, I will say that I very much like this film. Okay. I really liked the first 75% of the film. Hmm. So we can talk, maybe find a way to talk about what I had some issues with, with the final 25%. It did not cause me to walk away saying I did not like the film. Just, I went from a love down to a really like by the time the film had ended. Okay. But I will say, I'll, I'll talk through some things I really liked about it. And I'd like to hear your, your, your likes and, and thoughts as well. Uh, I felt like this was an extremely well-crafted thriller slash horror movie. Taking the elements that we know as a thriller, taking the elements we know as a horror movie, and really crafting them nicely. Okay. Um, I'm going to call out just kind of a, a moment in the film or a sequence. Tension building and ratcheting up the fear when we have an initial home invasion scene fairly right. early Which in the is shown film in the trailer. So you're not, it is. And anything. I'm you know, not going to go into much description of what happens in it, but just the build up to it, the tension that we have within the family, the, 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 the layout of the uh, geographical space around the, the family to see what they're surrounded by sure. all that extremely well done. Um, and then there's a kind of a little bit closer to a middle section where there is a pretty violent, encounters between different people and even how all that was handled was really well crafted as well and very exciting and kind of, you know, tense to watch as well. So all of that building, I thought was a really great thriller horror film. And I think all the acting is, is solid. Um, I will say Lupita Nyong'o, she's getting a lot of acclaim for this film and I think it's well-deserved. She plays two roles and, without going into any detail about those two roles too much more than we have to. Um, there's a reason why she plays them the way she does. And there's even some um, blending of roles to some degree, I will say as far as acting goes, sure, that has to happen. And it just, it works. Her mm-hmm. performance really, really works. Um, and I will say too, I, I, I just in generally liked the uh, the overall concept of the film, this whole concept of the doppelgangers, I thought was a really 
ingenious thing to play with. How they choose to play with it late in the film is more my questions or some misgivings I've got with the film. <laughs> but I like the concept as a whole. So, overall, yes, I'm very high on the film. I don't know if we're going to be able to go into spoiler time maybe a little bit later, Chris. I don't know what your thoughts are. But, again, I, I have a hard time saying anything else at this point <laughs> if we can't spoil it. So, sure. let me let me toss it over to you and see what you can do on a very high level as well. And then we, we may throw, a, uh, throw back the, the curtain and talk a little bit more about it. Okay, well, um, like you, um, I was impressed with Lupita Nyong'o, her her acting, and, you know, she is playing kind of a dual role. And actually, you know, the father and the two kids, they also are credited with playing their doppelgangers as well. So it's like everybody is playing themselves and also playing this, you know, doppelganger version. So that must have been, you know, really crazy on set to have to keep all that separate. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, and it's not the first time something like that's been done before, but just still, I think the number of people playing dual roles. Was, yeah, to have the whole family, right. you have a combination of adults and children. And, right. you know, I, I think it was, a, I'm sure it was a challenge. Yeah, yeah so mm-hmm. I admired that. I thought it was, you know, really effective. Um, something that I didn't really notice from Get Out, probably because it's set modern day and doesn't do a jump back time period, which this movie does. It starts back in the 80s and then comes forward to present day. The attention to production design as Mm -hmm. far as – and I didn't find it like – some people have complained. The movie we talked about on last podcast, Captain Marvel, how there was like a blockbuster and stuff like that. And they felt like it was all just window dressing without really kind of deeper meaning or kind of really Mm – it was just kind of kitsch value, I guess, even though the story was set back in the 90s. But with this, I feel like the opening shot shows a TV and it's obviously an old TV and there are VHS tapes all around it. And just kind of the little details that were picked out in that, and they come back and have ramifications in the film. It just everything just seemed to be very intentional, almost like a Wes Anderson horror, horror movie in some aspects, mm-hmm. where things just seem to be very, very well scripted, very planned out, and very methodical. Um, and I didn't really recognize that happening, and maybe it did in Get Out, although I've seen it, you know, a couple of times, and I didn't really pick up on that as much as I did just with one single viewing of us, how certain things are introduced and they come back around. I feel like everything is done for a specific reason and it all has payoff. Um, Some of that we cannot mention because of Mm -hmm. spoilers, Um, Mm -hmm. but in some of the ways, some of the things that happen at the end of the film, at first I was kind of like, yeah, I don't really... And then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, no, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, And I think I'd be interested to hear about your misgivings with the final 25% because I think originally I felt a little misgivings. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, nope, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, so I don't I, know. We'll have to, I, I we'll can actually address my, my concerns without spoiling, uh, I think, in a very general way. Um, um, I'll, I'll say that another highlight for me was mm-hmm. the score. Oh yeah, and I thought it was very effective. And you hear you hear tidbits of it in the trailer, the little, you know, plucking of the violin strings or cello strings or whatever. It's just very, you know, it sets you on edge. And mm-hmm. it, they do a good job of bringing that back around in the uh, film as well. Um, one, Lupita Nyong'o's character, when she's young, takes up ballet to try mm-hmm. to repress mm-hmm. kind of some trauma that happened to her. And then that juxtaposition with ballet, which can have classical music and strings being used. But when you hear that music with the ballet, it just becomes very eerie and disconcerting. Oh, yeah. It's just there again, just little attention to details. It's the whole crafting me, of it. And the really, crafting yeah, is just really strong. Just I mean, really paid off. The guy's talented in putting together a tense, 
scary movie. Well, uh, and I do feel like there were genuine scary moments uh, in that first 30, 45 minutes. I mean, yeah. I felt like, you know, um, you know, yeah, I think definitely in the first half of the film, it, it was the whole initial home invasion, the whole initial uh, meeting of the doppelgangers was very, very intense. So, yeah, I think um, something else that I appreciated about us as a, was that it seemed to have a lot on its mind, whereas, you know, Get Out had the the theme of racism or, you know, but it, it seems like you kind of knew going into Get Out what you were kind of going to get. And that's how I felt like at the end of it, I was like, yeah, it was an okay movie. It did have some funny parts. It was scary, but I kind of knew what the, I, I guess it, it had been spoiled just because i kind of knew what was going to go on. Whereas with mm. us, I didn't really know, you know, I figured it would be obviously some horror, but, um, the layers of what was going on in this movie impressed me a lot more because yes, yeah. it does talk about race, but it also talks about class. It well, talks about treatment of homeless people. Um, I don't know. And it has, yeah, there's, can, can there's I, some stuff in there. Can I offer something that may be a little on the controversial side, but sure. So I, I've, I've read a lot of people talking about this film and saying, Oh, you know, it's, it's it, just like kind of what you just alluded to a lot of deeper meanings, a lot of, other layers of things added onto it. And I get all that. And yeah, it could have hmm. to do with all those things, but does it have to, I mean, does the movie stand on its own as just a pure form of like storytelling? Well, that's what makes, that's what makes it genius. And I is think that it doesn't, it doesn't that's have my to thing, stand is that I stuff. almost think, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it as just purely tell me a story. And is it an entertaining story that I want to follow? Right. Without having to think of, is this talking about our caste system in, in society? Is this talking about homelessness? Is this talking about race? I don't know. Maybe it is talking about all those things. Maybe if you say it's not, then I don't. I don't see what you think the movie's but, about. Like, but that's so I'm dis- saying, but that's all so that disingenuous. Yes, <laughs> yes it could. But like, does it have to? I mean, does it? Does it have to be viewed in that lens? You know, I guess it's just. I mean, you can I almost feel like I think it's like a zombie movie, but that's not. I mean, I almost feel like fun. there's so it's, many people kind of falling over trying to read so much into meanings of stuff with this film. But what I like about it is the fact that it you didn't have to build any of that stuff in. It actually works as a form of entertainment sure. without having to go down that path and having to read more into well, it on that. It's the same, I mean, I, I can hear that, but I think the intentionality of reading stuff in there, I think is is very, very, very clear. Um, if for no other reason there's a there's a Bible verse that is thrown out there at the beginning, and immediately when I saw it, I was like, huh, you know. I was like, I don't recognize, not that I, you know, mm-hmm. am a Bible scholar, but I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. And it comes back around and it's shown at the end. Oh yeah. And if you read it, there's definitely a reason for it. Um, so that's the thing is like, and you don't have, you don't have to care about that. You don't have to care about, right. was there really something called hands across America? And what was the point of hands across America? You don't have to care about that. No, you can go into it and just be like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. It's a horror movie and things happen and, you know, it's against a family and can they bond together and survive or whatever. Sure. You can absolutely see it at that surface level. Right. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. But I think, you know, you can dig into meanings of the Star Wars franchise and about how that's telling, you know, age old tales about family and all that, you know, the dynamics you can you can read into. I mean, that's that's criticism at its base level is trying to see what things are based on and what it means and take meanings away. But I feel like if you don't think that Jordan Peele put these things in there on purpose, I think that that's, 
That's surprising. I would be surprising if you felt that way. Um, I mean, it's not that I don't feel that, that way. way. <laughs> I, I think it's because my issues with the final 25% rely on if that's truly the thing that he is trying to work in there. I think that's where things start to fall apart for me. I, and I, without spoiling anything, I totally disagree. Okay. And um, it's nature versus nurture. And I'll leave it at that. And I, can't, I, I cannot say any more. Oh, about and I get that. Actually, that is the theme I would say, but that yeah. doesn't go into race and politics and homelessness and other social issues, I guess is what I'm kind of saying that I think people are trying to feed into this. I definitely see the nature versus nurture. That's the one big thing that totally I got when I came away from it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's all about that. Is it about these other deeper, more social driven issues that I seem to be reading a lot of reviewers are trying to weave into it? Yeah, I mean, it can be. And well, if, if Jordan Peele wanted that to be about that, he certainly put in enough hints to show that. But that's not the theme I walked away with. The theme I walked away with was what you just said, nature versus nurture, which is a much bigger, more entertainment story driven topic than is this about race? Is this about um, society and the different levels of people and wealth and stature in society? All those things are touched on and all those things have some ways you can weave that into the story. But I walked away with a much simpler focus theme, which is nature versus nurture. Well, absolutely. And without spoiling, I, I will agree that, you know, race is no, is race's get outs thing. Yeah. Us. I could see how you could see aspects of it, but, it focuses more on, I think, to put it simply, the have and have nots and nature versus nurture. And I can't get more into that without yeah, spoiling I stuff. I think <laughs> so. we're going to have to spoil it because I think, yeah, I'm, just, I'm kind of at a bottleneck of what I can really refer to and talk about with things. Um, okay, so. Because everything I've got on the misgiving side pretty much depends on spoiling stuff. Okay, well, then we've talked for for about 20 minutes or so. So I guess let me, if you let don't me, want um, things spoiled, then skip ahead. Yeah. To I think I'm looking at my notes and pretty much everything else I've got to say is, okay. is spoiler driven. So why don't we, why don't we just ask everybody to skip ahead if they don't want to be spoiled in the film, we are going to spoil elements of us. If you have not seen this film or if you don't want to know these deals, you need to <laughs> skip ahead. When you hear us talking about world war one and Peter Jackson, you will know you've gone far enough ahead. <laughs> yep. Okay. And that's enough time, I think, break. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. So, Chris, here's my thing. And and, and this is going to make me talking for the next few minutes is going to make it sound like I didn't like this film. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. I really like this film. I wish I could say I loved it when I walked out of the theater. And it's mainly because of the way I feel like the last 20, 30 minutes, 20 minutes was handled. (laughs) So. I am being led to believe. Okay, so just for those of you who are listening and haven't seen the movie but don't care to, about being spoiled and you'd like to hear us to spoil it. Okay, <laughs> so the deal is we find out these doppelgangers um, that it's not just this family, which I thought was an awesome reveal right. halfway through the film. I love the scene in the uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker's. Uh, their house, right? where we realize, shockingly realize that, oh, nope, this is happening to everybody. It's not just this one family, which is what the trailers and everything else kind of lead you to believe. Is this just this this family going right. through this? But we the, find out this is happening everywhere. Yes. And to a shocking degree where uh, one of my favorite scenes is we're inside the house and the two daughters, teenage daughters, are up on the landing talking to their parents. And all of a sudden we look up and there's a doppelganger of the girls and brutally kills them. Right. And that's a moment where you're just like, okay, this whole movie has now just broadened out and gotten a lot more interesting for me, which Mm -hmm. is great. 
So we find out the doppelgangers are happening everywhere. And, you know, what we learn, and this is where my issues happen. Okay. I'm totally with this film Mm -hmm. on it being a, I don't need to know how the doppelgangers got here. I don't need to know anything about them other than I love this concept of they are these shadow versions of ourselves. Correct. Because that's how they're first introduced when Adeline is sitting with Red. Red is her her doppelganger. She kind of says, we're these shadows. We're the ones that like, kind of live well, in the darkness. And that coded, now that we don't have to worry about spoilers, yeah. that coded speech that she gives and we'll, again, we are spoiling it, people. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's, we're not <laughs> okay. holding anything back. So in addition to there being doppelgangers of everyone, not just this one family, the other thing that happens in this film that we'll go ahead and spoil is that Adelaide, as a young child, goes to a fun house on a beach. She sees a double and freaks out. And then they flash forward all these years later, yeah. and you're like, okay, she's dealing with this trauma, and then she gets all freaked out when these people start coming up to her family, and she's like, oh, it's happening again. Okay, what they reveal to you at the end of the film is that, and actually, when I went back and watched the trailer last night, they actually show it in the trailer, which mm. I was blown away by because it's actually, I'd forgotten about that, but it's actually revealed at the end of the movie. When Adelaide meets her doppelganger, the doppelganger strangles her and knocks her out mm-hmm. and drags her to the, it's kind of like an underground series of yeah. tunnels, which they actually put all this text up at the beginning of the movie. And you're like, okay, you yeah. don't really know what, but then it comes back into play later. Like why that was important. But anyways, she basically knocks her out, takes her to this underworld. Mm-hmm. And then she goes back up and she swaps shirts and all this kind of stuff. And she goes back up and blends in with her family. Yep. So at the end of the movie, you've learned that the doppelganger who you assume who's dressed in a red suit and who you think is evil this whole time, she is actually the Adelaide from the beginning of the movie. Right. And she has been having to live underground and live in all these really like screwed up circumstances. Sure. Meanwhile, the person who was able to escape because she you know, strangled her, she's then had this family life. So it's. It's this really no, no. I thought it was a great nature versus nurture. Thing. I thought it was a great twist, so. and I love that that environment. My whole issue is, and it all kind of comes down to one scene. It's really the scene where we have the uh, red talking, explaining to Adeline down in the in the in the in the sewer, the not sewer, the underground underground world dwellings. Yeah, underground, and world. basically yeah. lays out everything for her of what's gone on, and basically saying that they were basically almost like experiments. They were cloned. They were people that were made from existing people. Right. And they tried to do this experiment, but then they found out that even when they, when they duplicated the person, it didn't duplicate the soul. So they lost so much of the soul in these people. So you have a bunch of people down in this underground world that can't talk, that don't have that same soul in them, that same desires of things. They're just there. They're almost like just, just, aimless people in a way it was just an odd setup that was the moment where i said all right you you as a director mr peel making the decision to give me this specificity to the situation unfortunately for me it opened up a whole lot more open plot holes and questions and issues that didn't work for me i would have i was totally fine with it being supernatural. I don't care where they came from. Mm-hmm. You just tell me they are shadow versions of people who have been living in the shadows and like almost like our worst sides of us kind of come, come to light. And now they've come back to kind of take the rightful place on the world. 
I'm in. I'm totally in. I don't need to know anything more than that. Well, but the minute it becomes a clone experiment, that's definitely a difference between you and I. No, because I, just, I didn't work. I think it would have worked if they hadn't put that out there at the end. But what that does to me is it takes it to a different level. It's that, for instance, the Alien franchise. Yep, they're just monsters running around. When Prometheus came out and it took the mythology and took things to a different level and kind of investigated what their whole purpose was and all that, all that family, I've expressed my love for that movie. Mm -hmm. It made it even better for some people. Mm -hmm. It disinterested them, opened up plot holes and they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Same thing for us. I liked the movie all along. And at the end when she started basically kind of laying out what had happened and doesn't reveal, you don't know that they switch places until the very, very very end of the movie. Mm -hmm. But at that point when she's explaining kind of this underground, you know, area of doppelganger slash clones and everything. It just opened up questions, but those questions weren't bad for me. It was kind of, okay, the fact that these are now coming around and doing killings, it's in a way because they've been ignored. They've been forgotten about mankind decided to do this and then didn't take responsibility for it. And then they became the forgotten. And it's kind of like the Jurassic Park thing. Oh, we're going to go create a bunch of dinosaurs. Yay, this will be fun. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize what you're doing when you're messing. Yeah. You're playing God, and you don't realize uh, what again, you're doing. And again, I love that idea. So I, I love I, that concept. I appreciated it. I love the concept. I love the idea. I love it being, again, and again, I didn't even know what they meant by shadow versions of ourselves. Right. It could have been, yeah, maybe we did create them. Maybe they just somehow, um, I don't know. I was open to any interpretation on stuff. The problem for me just still comes down to when they say we cloned these people and then we forgot about them, but yet they've had kids and those kids are exact mirror images of the kids above ground. Right. And I really didn't understand the idea of whether they were mirroring our actions because they want you to believe at some parts of the film that they're underground mirroring what's happening above ground, like action wise. But then that didn't hold up when they decide to break free, they're not mirroring their other people anymore at all until the young boy does the scene where he walks backwards in the fire because he's mirroring his, his mirror. I'm like, okay, they're just being very inconsistent, which is again, making it really difficult for this whole concept to kind of break down for me. It's like, yeah, and I, again, I, again, I don't need everything spelled out specifically, but if you're going to give me specifics and say, this is the way this world is, but then the rule, then the rules of this world are very inconsistent. It's hard for me to grab onto what it is they're trying to convey with this. So anyway, I, I would have rather I, kept it as vague and as nebulous as possible. Then I didn't have to worry about the rules and think about this. But the minute it's they experimented, they created these people and they left us down here. But yet they've basically generated exact kid copies like somehow, well, even though this is now, you know, so many years later. And do they mirror the actions of the people in the above world or not? Because if they do, then how? I don't know. It, it, it started me quite me questioning way too much that I didn't want to be questioning. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. I did not want to be questioning in this film. And I was so happy for the first 75% not to be questioning that stuff. And then when they did the thing, it was almost like a James Bond villain explaining everything at the in the classroom setting. And it's like, here's everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. At that point, I'm like, okay, all right, you they kind of just derailed the film a little bit for me. And I didn't walk away with the same love of enjoyment because of that. So, hmm. yeah, that's not my experience at all. So all that's right. an interesting, that's an interesting thing. I think if anything, what I was saying about, 
I mean, you can't help but compare just because he's only made two films. Um, <laughs> and they're both horror films. So, you know, mm-hmm. Get Out versus Us. And that's the difference with, to me, on why I enjoyed this film so much more than I did Get Out was because Get Out, the premise was there about, you know, everything in that film. And it was kind of laid out at the beginning and then nothing changed and nothing was elevated. And I was like, okay, that's that. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this film, you think it's just you think it's one thing from the preview and then you see, no, they're doppelgangers of everybody. Okay. They come back into the, and then things just keep kind of slowly tweaking. And then the very end tweak was like, yeah, we switched places. And that, the speech that you're saying, it elevated things for me. It didn't bring it down. Um, hmm. And I guess the addition of questions for me was, was kind of a good thing. If anything, it probably just, cause I started to kind of wonder hmm. actually, um, at one point when the, you talked about Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss, they're like this rich family that mm-hmm. the, um, Adelaide's family, at least the husband is kind of competitive with mm-hmm. a little bit. And there's where you get a little bit of the, the class and everything, but they're friends, but they're still a little bit kind of competitive. Um, the siblings or the, the children of both families don't really kind of, it's kind of like they're put together, but they don't really necessarily get along. Um, and there's some interesting things that they say back and forth. I don't know. There, and then there's just, I don't know. There's so much there. Well, see, and there again, that's also uh, and to get back to kind of where, when I got to the end, it made me even look back later earlier in the film and say, okay, now I don't understand the rules. I don't understand this world they've created. Some of the doppelgangers like red and her family came and they invaded Adelaide's house and the right. family. And they basically held them hostage or tried to, but they didn't kill any of them. They didn't seem that intent on wanting to murder them. They were wanting to just hold them or, or toy with them a little I... bit. But then you've got the ones who came to the to the the white family, the the uh, Elizabeth Maza and yeah. Heidecker. And I mean, right away, it's like, oh, they showed up and they're straight out murdering them. And that's what's murdering everybody well, else. I think I think you the know. only reason that there again, I don't it didn't bother me. Yeah, um, doesn't bother me still. But if I was trying to excuse the behavior, it would be because there was that switch. Um, her family, she, and basically because she's with that family unit of doppelgangers, but she's actual, yeah, a fake doppelganger, right. Adelaide is. It's like she wants to make sure the other ones realize what you've done and what you, it's like yeah. she's trying to bring some type of. And she, she was kind of deemed as the ringleader of this entire underworld. Right. Kind of rising up against the people of the above world because, you know, she's the one who actually did live up there. Right. And kind of is now seeing the horrors of what the people are and just the mirroring doing. of, you know, the doppelganger gets to go up to the world because she traps Adelaide in yeah. the underworld with handcuffs and which is what she does to her when yeah. they invade the home. There's oh, all that. No, it was stuff. great. I mean, believe me, I'm, and again, what I'm arguing about here is a, one sure. s- couple scenes and a few lines of dialogue that unfortunately for me, I didn't need. And yeah. I feel like actually overly complicated the film and made it to where I want to say, but now that doesn't make sense to me in these points. Yeah. Again, if I had not had that scene in the classroom and honestly, it was just <laughs> left very ambiguous why these shadow people were here and what they were doing down there and what I didn't need to know any of that. Well, you know, I'm totally it's, cool. It's with interesting. Concept, beca- yeah. It's interesting because it's, inter- you know, and, I think, it, yeah, it's just differences because I mm-hmm. like things getting really complicated. I, I like that. Um, okay. It doesn't usually, in general, I like when things get complicated mm-hmm. within movies. And actually, in the beginning of the movie where they showed 
the rabbits and then they kind of, you know, they showed something and then they just kind of went away and they show like mm-hmm. all these cages, right. And then they just kind of go away and then they, you know, come back towards the end of the film and things make a little more sense. Um, it actually bothered me because I kind of was like, okay, am I just going to turn my brain off? These are just zombie doppelganger. Oh, we're never going to get any. And we never, they don't fully explain it, but the fact that I actually liked that they, it dumped a little bit more information in there because that way it made it, I guess it made it more complicated and opened up plot holes for you, but didn't for me, but it, it actually kind of was like, okay, you're actually not just going to dangle the thing at the beginning and then just never come back and give it any more Mm -hmm. meat on the bones. They actually did try to fill it in a little bit more, but I can see how it opened up problems. Well, it just, again, it just, uh, it just calls me the question, the world that they were trying to create. Because, again, I didn't need any world building from this. I was very happy with what was going on, what they were doing, the story they were telling. Mm. But the minute they start doing some of that world building and there being some backstory and there being some reasons why they're down there. And now this is kind of what they, they go through and the whole mirroring thing again. And once that started to kind of come into play, it's like, all right, yeah, I'm unfortunately it just kind of broke down yeah. a little bit for me. See, yeah. and I think that's I kind of a summary for me is that I liked – get out but with us i realized jordan peele is somebody that i want to see anything he does because he was trying to build more of a world it's not just a one-off hopefully this is a one-off horror movie hopefully he does not do us too (laughs) right you know and hope i'm glad he didn't do get out too you know he's he wants to create a world wants to create an immersive story but then it's like i'm not doing this to set up a franchise i'm doing this because i'm making this a standalone movie and so i'm i'm really excited to see what else he does. And also because he's kind of one of these people where he is a horror director, but I feel like in a way there's an association with horror with like schlock, you know, yeah. <laughs> because of how we grew up, it was just like, you know, the nightmare on Elm street franchise or the Freddie, the Freddie franchise, you know, or um, Mike Myers. And then, you know, Jason, all that yeah. stuff. You just, in my mind, at least, and I admit it's, you know, that's biased. I just think, Oh, I'm, I don't like horror films. I'll only go see something if I feel like it's a well-crafted film, but you know, and so that just immediately excludes horror. But I think Jordan Peele is one of these people that is bent on making well-crafted films that just happen to fit in that horror genre. So it's like, okay, you know, it's like the witch and other films that we've talked about. They can be horror films. It follows. And they're just well well thought out. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I see it as, and I think there's a reason why Jordan Peele's assigned, to now kind of being a producer and, and the host of the uh, new version of the twilight, twilight zone. zone. Cause that's the stories he loves. I right. mean, both of the movies he's made so far are basically feature length twilight zone stories. My only sadness yeah. is that I hope he doesn't just start just doing, you know, TV now because I, I, I would miss, Oh no, no. I don't think the he's immersive. I don't, I don't think he's directing version. and all that. I think he's just uh, like lending as a producer and he's hosting, which is which not he'll a big, probably do a really good job. Yeah. He, I, I get the sense that he really wants to make more films. So okay. I'll, fine for that. Yeah. I just, and I did like this film better than get out. Um, and again, I, I don't know. No, excuse. I like this film a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. I had a great time with it. I just, you know, again, just had my misgivings with the way they handled the ending. Um, or the lead up to the ending, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked it better than get out because I felt like it just had more going on. And I just, I thought it was more thrilling. It was scarier. It was just had a lot more craftsmanship to the film, but I also liked how get out was a little more localized into this certain group of people. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, when it broadens out to, you know, we even have an ending shot of the film where it's 
the hands, <laughs> it's hands across it's America, the doppelgangers doing the hands doppelgangers, across America, yeah. truly across America, and it's helicopters are going off. You get the sense this is now a global situation at to least deal nationwide, with. but maybe globally, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that broad, that grand, uh, grandioseness of it worked for me in relation to the rest of the film. And, so, it, and it did for me because yeah. it was kind of like a 12 monkeys type thing or Jurassic Park type thing. And um, that when I threw out, I kind of started to, but did, I had notions all along that maybe something was up because when Adelaide is able to subdue people inside Tim Heidecker's house and stuff, she kind of yeah. gets this like snarl and stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that's well, I picked kinda, up on that. That's kind of animalistic. On. Is oh, she yeah. becoming, or was that the point that saying like all of us have this thing inside of us, and if you start killing things, you then lessen yourself and you become more like a doppelganger? It's like, oh, okay, maybe that's what they're doing. And then at the end, it's like, no, they were flipped. And there was actually one scene um, where I honestly thought did red swap places then uh, with Adelaide because Adelaide was acting very, she was quiet. Right. She was doing a lot more grunting and noises. And it's just, I thought, wow, did they switch? Right. How did they do that with the hair and all that? <laughs> but now looking at it at the end of the film, I'm like, well, yeah, that obviously made sense. There was a scene where her doppelganger daughter dies. Right. And she yes. gets out of the car to go up and see that even though there's absolutely no reason, like every horror instinct tells you don't get you out of have car. to keep driving. Don't yeah. go up. And there. the family says, don't get out yeah. of the car. And of course, if you're, if you're not picking up on the twist, you're thinking, why is she doing this? Right. But now you look back in hindsight and you're like, well, yeah, because that's kind of in a way her daughter. Right. I mean, in a twisted way. I mean, right. it's, it's who would have been her daughter if she right. had stayed down underground. So anyway, and I thought, um, yeah, and feeling guilt about, you know, this is what I caused because I came up and then they're kind of taking revenge. And do I feel bad for it? Because I basically stole this other person's life. Yeah. And, and I think in closing, like I said, um, the whole apocalyptic or you know, bring it on ourselves, kind of Jurassic Park, 12 monkeys type thing. That's where the Jeremiah eleven eleven was interesting because basically it says like, it was like, you know, I'm going to put like a, basically bring an apocalypse on this area because these people and they'll have, they'll not be able to survive it. And it's basically like, because they've done all these bad things, kind of like a Sodom and Gomorrah type thing. Yeah. I'm going to put all this, you know, bad stuff happening and you won't be able to get out of it. And it's kind of like humans. You assume at some point the above world, like they say, created the doppelgangers and then just said, Oh yeah, they don't have souls or whatever. Okay. And now we're just going to forget about them and like, Nope, it's responsibility. And eventually sure. that's going to come back and haunt you. No, And there again, that's the only theme I needed out of the film. Sure. That totally worked. That's <laughs> sure. it. That was all. I mean, what you just described there, perfect. I get it. I think when they when I've just read too many online reviews or other people, critics trying to weave in politics and race and other things into it. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, if you really wanted to reach for those things, there's there's threads to grab onto there. Right. But I, I don't I don't see all that. I, I don't and I choose not to see that. I see the theme you were just talking about. Right. Again, I would have been very happy if it was just the darker sides of our own self, our our own shadow versions, and that there's a lot of evilness or or things that we all push aside and don't want to deal with, and now these are kind of manifested. I thought that's where they were going, and I was cool with that. And then hearing experiment and there are people we left behind, I'm still okay with that. <laughs> then they just start trying to weave in the whole mirroring and the whole thinking about how the kids – replicated in the exact same way they did above ground, even though they weren't clones themselves, they were kids of the clones, but yet they turned out exactly like the ones up, up, up top, little things like that. Just that's where it started to break down for me. That's, that's it. So, um, hmm. again, interesting. 
I think they could have scaled back. Yeah, I think we did more of talk longer in spoiler Spoilers time than, than we, we did. did in the original yeah. review. So could be. Uh, let's go ahead and hop out of this review and move sure. on. Overall, you and I both like it. Yep. You seem to like it a little more than me, mainly because I've just got some misgivings with a part of the film. But overall, otherwise, I'm very high on this film. I liked it. I had a really great time with it. And sounds like you absolutely did I as well. I so. do as well, yeah. All right. Stay so we're both it. heavily recommending. Just, I will say the biggest thing about this film I love is the fact that it does generate conversations, which mm-hmm. I am always a fan of. I don't Agreed. want anything to just lay out there and be not worth talking about afterwards. So I'm definitely happy about that part of it. Okay. So welcome back. If you skipped ahead, <laughs> sounding the alarm, letting you know we are done talking spoilers. So we are going to move on to our second review, which is uh, the film. They shall not grow old. I was 16 years old and my father allowed me to go. I was just turned 17 at the time. I was 16. I was 15 years. When they came to us, they were frightened children and had to be made into soldiers. Boys, here it comes. We're in the pictures. (laughs) I gave every part of my youth to do a job. Chris, with They Shall Not Grow Old, director and producer Peter Jackson, uh, which is really the main person credited with this. It seemed to be his idea. It seemed to be his thing to move forward with. He he spends a lot of time working on uh, restoring and bringing back to life World War One footage, which is interesting because I think we even talked about in our discussion after the film screening the other night we had of this film that World War One is a world is a war that we just don't really talk a lot about as a society. It's World War Two. That's the right. big one everybody focuses on, and countless movies have been made. Oh, about. absolutely! But World War One's uh, doesn't have as much attention in media, not as much attention, I think, in history books. You know, it's just it's it's not really revered as much as the Second World War. But yet, Peter Jackson had a grandfather who fought in World War One, and spent a lot of time taking footage, black and white footage. Um, old hand cranked footage where the timing's off and there's no sound to it and figure out a way to restore it. So we actually, for the first time ever have a more realistic view of what life might've been like in the war for the soldiers. So taking over a hundred hours of, of footage and restoring, uh, taking over 600 hours of audio interviews with veterans of world war one and crafting it into a documentary called they shall not grow old. So Chris, in looking at this, it's tough sometimes to review a documentary like this because I, I don't want to say it's pretty straightforward, but you know, it, it had a sing- singular purpose to restore this footage and give us this very visual in, in, inside look on the soldiers in world war one. And it did that through a combination of all the audio uh, interview clips we hear and the restored footage as well as some old footage that's not restored. Right. It's tough to review it because, you know, you got to look at it both from a how did it work as a film and then also how did it work uh, from a technical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's two different arguments to make here. Sure. So let me pose those two arguments for you. Tell me what you thought of it as a film and what you thought of it as a technical uh, spectacle. Hmm. Okay. Because I do think uh, there's two different minds of those. Uh, I'd like so to hear your thoughts on that. Which do I have to do first? Either one. Whichever <laughs> you feel like. Because, you know... Um, for fear of being portrayed the bad guy. Um, so, which tips my hand from a technical aspect. Yeah, it was amazing what he did. The amount of time that had to, 
it had to take to, okay, first you've got to restore the footage, all the stuff that makes jumps or all the little specks on the film. And, you know, this stuff's really old by now. Okay, you just restore it so you can actually see what's going on. And then on top of that, they then add in, you know, they colorize it. And then on top of that, they also add in sound so that it's like you feel like you hear the moving of the mm-hmm. tanks and it like, you know, matches up perfectly. So it's as if they were recording sound when they were recording this footage, which they weren't. Yeah, right. Um, so all of that put together worked from a technical aspect and was more um, allowed me to more submerse myself into what I think they were trying to do, which was give you a feeling of World War One. Mm-hmm. Now you're saying from the film perspective, yeah, how, how did it work feel as a film? It? And so I'll say for that, that's something that I can say positively about that aspect was it did make me feel like. Um, I got a sense of the trench warfare and what mm-hmm. it was like to be in the trenches. You see things for what it was like to be a fighter pilot or what it was like to be on the ground, like through things like saving private Ryan when they were, you know, storming the beaches and that type, but that's all world war two. This is world war one. And they gave you a little bit of a feeling of how people weren't really understanding that they were getting into war. And it was like, Hey, we're going to be employed. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Through some of the beginning things that happened, you heard voiceovers of people, being very naive about war and then getting into it and then kind of seeing what happens. And there again, as I mentioned, the shots of people in the trenches and you see a lot of dead bodies as you do in war. And that did hit home, but overall as a film um, and as a documentary, it did leave me a little, a little cold, I guess. I felt like it did. I did learn a little bit about world war one but to me, it felt more of like a expressionistic or experimental documentary yeah. as opposed to one that was providing me facts or one that was providing me a little bit yeah. more knowledge. It was, And I appreciated that, but I think it kind of surprised me because I felt like I would get a little bit more of factual yeah. things. And it's still worth seeing for anybody who's a big history buff. Mm-hmm. But um, I was kind of surprised that after the technical stuff was done – the film side or the, you know, the experience as a whole piece didn't really hold up for me as well as I, as well as I thought. I, I think you and I are, are, are similar on our thoughts here. I, I'm, I was amazed technically with the film. Um, cause once what, you know, and I'll say this, that, you know, the film does have a portion that is not the restored footage and, and, and that goes on for a while at the beginning. And then when it shifts to the restored footage, it is pretty amazing. And it definitely does like you really are kind of entranced with it for a while. I think, uh, but I, I agree with you that it, it just didn't work as a film for me. Yeah. Um, I almost felt like it's one of those things where you go to a museum and you walk into an environment where maybe there's video screens up and they kind of put you in the feel of it and you mm-hmm. watch like little uh, montages and, 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 and vignettes of things. Sure. It totally was good for that environment. But you're right. I. I think the problem with the film was, I think it was really long. It was. For not doing as much varied things within that time. I mean, it wasn't that it was a long film. It was an hour and 35 minutes. But for probably half the film, it was very repetitive in that it was in the battles. Let's just show a lot of battle shots, which again, and there was a whole sequence that was all just hand-drawn illustrations of battle. And it's just, it seemed to be just kind of mulling over the same points for really, really long periods of time. Yeah. So I honestly think you could have boiled this down and got it down to 30, 45 minutes and it would have been very effective 
and giving you that feeling of what it's to be like and hear the thoughts of what soldiers were feeling at the time. But if you're not going to put in more personalities and facts and getting to know people and getting to know the situation around them, to watch this for an hour, 40 minutes was just it got to be kind of grueling after a while. It was kind of more of an endurance Which, test you know, after it is a while. So. War is grueling. Obviously. Yeah, but I'm saying more endurance. Just okay, we're still sure. watching the same kind of footage over and over again. You know, and I don't know. I, I don't want to discredit the technical side of it because it was amazing, and I, I definitely know what they were trying to do. Um, Peter Jackson, even in interviews, has said I didn't want to add people's names or dates or specifics because I wanted this to be more about just the general soldier experience. But an hour and 40 minutes of just that general soldier experience and it just kind of all bleed together, it, it, it just didn't make a compelling uh, experience for me. And because we're exactly on the yeah. same page and not a compelling experience because I can appreciate the generalization, like you were saying, he was going for, Peter Jackson was going for. But because of that, you don't have anything, any narrative thread to hope, hang your hat on. Right. Or you don't have any factual threads because mm-hmm. without names and dates and stuff like that. You're kind of just floating. Yeah. Um, interesting. I had not thought about it from the context of what you would see when you go to a museum. But I think this film, if put into a World War One museum and then kind of done in vignettes, like in different stages or different rooms of the museum or whatever, or just different films that mm-hmm. you watch in between walking between rooms – that would be amazing. Oh, it, like it would be so good and yeah. it would be more impactful because it would give you a little bit more of context, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's the, it's not that this film's not good, not that it has a purpose, you know, and it, the restoration and all the hard work that went into it. It's just the venue of watching an hour and 30 minutes all in one sitting. I feel like isn't really no, doing it justice. That's that's why when I was watching this, I said, you know, how great would it be if you were at a World War One museum mm-hmm. and Room One was um, before re- you recruitment, go to war. recruitment, yes. and yes. it's just a whole five ten minutes about the recruitment. Okay, Agreed. and you got the facts, you got other things around the exhibit you can read, and then you go on and say, all right, now we actually get on the ground, mm-hmm. and then there's a whole section on, on the battle, and it, that to me would have been really fascinating because then you supplement it with other facts and pictures and notes and all that. Yeah, you're right. Watching it for an hour and a half, it just, it 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 just to me didn't work as a documentary style format, long form documentary format. Something you and I talk about a lot on the show, I know I do ad nauseum, are expectations. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting with this film how it actually played with my expectations because, as you mentioned, you know everybody. If you've seen a trailer for this film, if you've seen the poster for this film, you know the whole thing is, "Hey, we restored stuff, and it looks." pretty cool. So when the film starts, yeah. it's, you know, they, it's, they kind of do a little bit of a bookend and the film starts and it's black and white. You're like, okay, well it's black and white and it's the herky jerky footage. You know, it's kind of hard to see, but that that's going to go away in like, you know, two or three minutes because <laughs> the whole point of this thing was to see restored footage and we keep going and we keep going and that doesn't happen. Now I don't know when it happens, but I felt like it was a good, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I think it was closer to 20 minutes. Okay. And I admit I was getting restless and irritated because I'm kind of like, I've seen this stuff before. You're not showing me anything new. I'm not learning any new facts. So what gives? Well, then I feel like the transition to the restored footage Mm -hmm. basically happened when the battle started, when you got to the trenches Mm -hmm. and that, and then it ends because like I was mentioning, there's a bookend. It kind of ends when the battle's over and things are winding up. 
before the going home journey and before like the aftermath of World War I was talked about, mm. then it reverts back to black and white. So after it was all said and done, even though it was a little fidgety at the beginning, I can appreciate it because in a way, like you were saying, they talked about the hype to all the soldiers before they went off to war and they were all excited and they kept it old school. But then once the reality mm. of the war set in, that's when the reality of the restored footage was used. Well, I like the framing. So of the, framing, I the thought framing, the framing was good. The framing worked and I, I just, was confused. I, I, I wish it, it wasn't 20 minutes of sure. that, uh, of the non-restored footage at the beginning because it really did take a sweet time getting there. Sure. Um, but I love the way it did wrap up. It, it, when it comes back from war, it fades back to the black and white. And then it's just a slowly kind of shrinking old footage aspect down to like ratio, it was aspect sure. ratio. And it was just, and it was the right amount of time. It was maybe five minutes at the end yeah. going in. You just needed the old stuff. Perfect. Similarly at yeah, the beginning. That's right. Yeah. So I, I think my whole issue was just the structure length and the overall format of presenting it in this kind of film. Um, it's not at all issues with what they did. It's just yeah. more the issues with the way they chose to present it in a singular story like this. Something that you mentioned in our discussion that was held after the film for our society members that I want to be sure to touch on here because I had kind of a problem with it. After you explained it, I understood mm-hmm. why they did it a little more, mm-hmm. but the fact that they didn't explain it in the film, it just made it just really weird. Um, it's the use of some of the illustrations and the yeah. use of things and it was just kind of like you just saw really extreme close-ups, and I, I was like, I don't, I don't get that, you know. And I felt like it added length and added time to stuff I didn't really need. And then you said after the discussion, correct me if I mm-hmm. get the specifics wrong, but you said these were actual drawings that were done back during that time period, and they wanted to use things to help show some of the battle because, like you know, some of the things they can't show because there wasn't footage of it, but they wanted to give you those ideas. And the reason it was kind of weird was because they would zoom them up and crop them out so that you didn't see depictions of the Germans. You just saw depictions of the the British soldiers because you know, they were depicting them in a very propaganda type way. Oh, yeah. They didn't want to focus on that. They just wanted to focus on the ger- or the British experience. Well, and also the, the, the interviews that we were hearing during the film are talking about the, from the British soldiers talking about how the Germans were really – excellent soldiers and very good fighters and, you know, all these things intimidating and all, but the propaganda drawings all showed the Germans as weak and foolish and just kind of, so they didn't want to show that part of the drawing. So they were focusing on just the British part of the drawings. I, that was probably my biggest issue with the film is I I just felt like that middle section of, of the fighting from primarily illustrations that we're seeing just was really long. It just didn't fit the rest of the film. I get that they didn't have any actual footage sure. of people out there fighting. So right. they had to kind of show that part of the story in a certain way. But I would have been okay with them saying, you know, they're running off into the battle. And then we come back to the footage after the battle's done. Of all the carnage. And, just, and we yeah. see all the carnage afterwards sure. and we get a sense of how disastrous it was and bloody it was. I'm okay with that. I don't need to see a 10 minute montage of fighting through illustrations Agreed. because I, I know what that looks like. I, I, I can visualize that and we don't have the footage to show it anyway. So right. why, why try to cover that up? You know? And I agree. I think that would have helped with running time. And it was also just, it was frustrating for me. You explained afterwards kind of why they did it. There was a I reason feel, for it, but it still didn't. I just didn't, didn't I didn't add. think that whole section needed to be there. It didn't add anything to it at all. Likewise, I'll say something that didn't add anything to me and really irritated me. Cause I thought yeah. it was something that looked very amateurish and like something you would do in the 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the beginning when the footage was black and white before they transitioned, 
they showed some kind of like propaganda posters type oh, things yeah. again. And the propaganda posters were in color. And then they would kind of inset mm-hmm. some black and white footage playing over it, like in little small little windows. And it would go. And I was just like, I don't know what you're trying to do here. Yeah, was, Other than maybe was, put some color on the screen so I'm not irritated it's black and white. Like yeah. I felt like that was kind of clumsily handled. Clumsy, I think, is probably a good word to use with the film. Uh, technically incredible. Made into a film clumsy. You know, just it just didn't fit the format the way I was hoping it would. Um, again, I, I, I still I pulled back up this footage on, on my own computer and watched some of it because I think it's amazing what they did with the restored footage. I just don't care to see it as a feature length documentary format anymore. I just don't think that format works for telling the story the right way. So, all right. Well, it sounds like we're on the same page with this. So, uh, um, they shall not grow old. I think technically people should check it out if they are history buffs, if they're interested in world war one, or just wanting to see really interesting filmmaking techniques with footage of what they're doing with it. Right. But, um, it's not something I, I don't even feel like it's something somebody needs to make a, a plan to like spend an hour and 40 minutes sitting down watching it. I think you can get a really great sense of it, of like watching it at your own leisure and parts, uh, you know, and kind of just getting a sense of what the film does, but don't go into it looking for a complete story and a right. kind of a, a, an engaging hour and 40 minute progression of that story. It's truly, it's a museum highlight reel. And if you look at it that way, then I think it's an impressive watch. And if you're a giant history buff who's yeah. really interested in World War One, then yeah, you probably will find more gratification in watching it because you already know a lot of the details. But yeah, yeah otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will say they, they Shall Not Grow Old. It's available online now. At least it was in a purchase format. I'm sure it's available for rent, I think, in May. Um, it, again, there are certain reasons to watch this film and certain reasons to, to appreciate it. Um, so we're not, not advocating it. It's just, uh, it's a difficult format to try to come across in and right. uh, just be prepared for that. If you do end up seeing it. So that's, they shall not grow old by Peter Jackson. And, uh, it is available online as we speak right now. So Chris, that's our two reviews. We're going to go into a quick break. And when we come back, we've got some three new news items we're going to share with the audience and talk about between us. And then we'll end the show with each of us giving our recommendation for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by the 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival. This year's festival will be held September 27th through the 29th in Hickory, North Carolina. Learn more by visiting footcandlefilmfestival.com. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Chris and I had our uh, lively conversation about the film Us <laughs> and then a conversation about the film They Shall Not Grow Old. Uh, in the first half of the show. Now we're moving on to our movie news and our recommendations. But before we jump into that, just a quick reminder, uh, we do have a film festival coming up in September. So I want to make sure you know, you, you know about that. We'll give you a little more details at the end of the show, but just please have on your calendar September 27th through the 29th of 2019 will be our fifth annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Then also you are listening to this show on TheMesh.TV we encourage you to check us out online. The network website is themesh.tv, T-H-E-M-E-S-H.tv. You can check out back episodes of this show, subscribe through whatever format uh, or, or, or platform you choose to use, and also check out other shows we have on the Mesh Network for your listening enjoyment. All right, so Chris, let's get into some movie news. I've got I've got a couple items. I know you've got one, so if it's okay, let me let me hop in first and, sure. and do the first one I've got listed. So 
I stay up to date with a lot of film projects and I like to read up on like who's working on what films and what, what's happening. And, you know, especially when there's big name directors or big name stars attached to them. Okay. So per variety, variety ah. online in the magazine and sure. variety, uh, per exclusive with them. So I want to give them credit for, for this. Uh, I just read this today oh, and breaking news and the whole, there, there are so many interesting tidbits in just this title of this, this, this announcement. Hmm. The announcement was Tom Hanks to I, play. I've heard of him to play Colonel Tom Parker in Boz Lerman's Elvis biopic. <laughs> Okay. So I, all I that combined, I couldn't, pla- I couldn't yeah. place the colonel. I mean, I was like, "Colonel, that sounds." So there's like- several pieces about this that are intriguing. <laughs> a, they're making an Elvis biopic. It just dawned on me that uh, that I is don't think bizarre. We've had one. I, to my knowledge, we definitely that one that hasn't come out in our lifetime. I think there's been one like a TV miniseries, TV movies and stuff, but not yeah, a movie. But there's never, which is really odd because you would think that would be one that, that they would have explored by now. Two, Baz Luhrmann. Boz Lerman, Moulin Rouge, right. Romeo and Juliet. Right. All the, he's doing the Elvis biopic. Australia, which was not good with uh, yeah. Hugh Jackman. Well, yeah, but, that too. <laughs> and then you've got Tom Hanks mm-hmm. playing Colonel Tom Parker. Now, supposedly in the film, uh, hmm. they're pretty adamant about Elvis is going to be a newcomer. So they're not going to have a big star play Elvis. It's going to be uh, somebody you've never seen before, which I think is the right way to go. Although but, I got excited because didn't Jack White play Elvis in Walk Hard? Oh, I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> so I got excited <laughs> for a second. I was like, wait. But I'm sure they're going to need somebody who can play Elvis at the younger years sure. and then play him older, too. Um, but I love the fact that, you know, Tom Hanks playing Colonel Tom Parker. Obviously, Tom Parker was kind of his manager from like mm. back in the early days through most of his career and was really responsible for a lot of his uh, kind of, you know, how big he got over time. So I guess is the focus going to be more on, I mean, since Tom Hanks is a big name, is it going to be kind of like, here's Elvis and you watch that, but it's kind of through the lens of maybe, Colonel I don't know. Parker. Well, of course the fact that Baz Luhrmann, I mean, a very kinetic director yeah. with a lot of visual style to it. Yeah. Music is a big thing in his film. So obviously music playing in the biopic. I'm just, the whole thing has got me really curious, and I didn't know anything about this project until I read this one inter- this one headline today. That so is interesting. I thought it was really, really cool. Um, you know, if you told me they were making an Elvis biopic, I'm like, okay, uh, I'll wait and see who's involved. Sure. Boz Lerman's doing it? Okay. I'm very curious. A curious choice, but I'm intrigued. And, you know, I think Tom Hanks is still a very, very high caliber actor that doesn't really Absolutely. do a lot of junk. And, uh yeah. So for him to sign on to play what could be a supporting role, uh, I think is a good good sign too. So yeah, that's that is odd, mm-hmm. odd and interesting. Odd that yeah, just, just there's a lot odd about that. But yeah, I'm I'm curious too. Yeah, I'm very is, curious. Is there, I'm guessing it's probably like a 2020 release at, at least. I mean, yeah. I think they they have, they're just now signing up actors for it. So gotcha. I'm sure it'll be at least 2020, if possibly not even early 2021. I would imagine at this point. Gotcha. So that was my first news item. Kind of an interesting surprise when I read that. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, what do you have to share with us here? So um, it happened as of today when we're recording. It's been announced uh, Agnes Varda has passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we reviewed her film wow. Faces Places like in 2017. It was yep. a documentary. But uh, if you didn't listen to that episode or you're not familiar, she's a famed Belgian-born French filmmaker. And she is pretty much one of the contributors to the French New Wave cinema mm-hmm. movement. 
and she, you know, she was well thought of. She made some fiction narrative films, but a lot of what she did were documentaries. Yeah. And a lot of times she was in them. Mm-hmm. Um, her last film, which she stated at the time when it came out, <clears throat> excuse me, she said, this will be my last film. Mm-hmm. It came out earlier this year, and it was a documentary called Varda by Agnes. Mm. Um, I didn't see it, but now I really want to see it. Right. Um, I've... I think if I remember back to our discussion of faces and pla- faces places, you and I both liked it. Yeah, um, we did. I mean, yeah. it was a it was a nice, pleasant film uh, that was somewhat simple, but I think done with a, a great style and charm to it. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm and I said at the time, I think I remember after our view, like I wanted to check out some of her other work, um, and I haven't. Yeah, so I, have I think either. I'm going to have to use. It. Actually, I want to check out her last film just because. I want to, but then I want to go back and also see one of her narratives because yeah. the last one is a documentary. So I, I think I, you well, know, unfortunately with her passing, it just kind of reminds me like, Hey, here's this big person in cinema that a big body of work we need yeah. to get more familiar with. Well, and the fact is she, she was making movies from like 1955 right. upward and she's 90 years old. She was 90 years old. So she, you know, she has definitely put it, had a huge long career in film. And again, like you said, a lot of impact on French new wave and just, even documentary cinema, as we know it today, yeah. I think she's been a real craft, a shaper of that. Well, so. what what kind of interested me so much about her in Faces Places and upon seeing the remembrances of her online today, mm. the way people talk about her, her as a person, you know, being this kind person who was just, you know, had this interesting asp- or view of life and just this personality – it kind of made me think like she's the Dumbledore of the French new wave, like <laughs> yeah, you know, right. kind of a twinkle in her eye. She has yeah. this like kind of whimsical sense about her. Like I can see that her haircut for the last, I don't know, 15 years. She had was like gray on top. And then this like purple band of color. It was like, she was just her own person. She, she marched to whatever unique. drummer she happened yeah. to hear. And I just, I don't know something about that idea. I really respond to. So yeah. Agreed. Sad to see your past, well, but I want to check out more of her work. I appreciate you bringing that up. And, of course, the thoughts and prayers to friends, family, and all. But uh, uh, definitely a loss for yeah. cinema. And the fact is, I mean, even though she was 90, she she was making movies in She's, the last couple of years absolutely. here. So she was still a contributor that we're, we're sorely going to miss there. Um, oh, I've got one more news item. Okay. Yet another interesting project for a couple of different reasons that I read about recently. And I, I didn't know if you knew anything about it. So someone is working on a new adaptation of Macbeth. Oh. Do you know who that is? Um, no. Okay. So here's the thing that's interesting. There is a new adaptation of Macbeth. Uh, they've signed on the two lead actors to play the Lord and uh, his, his wife. Hmm. Uh, Denzel Washington will be playing Lord Macbeth. Okay. Francis McDormand will be playing his wife. Whoa. Now. So Lady Macbeth. Okay. Yeah. Now let me get to the really interesting part of this. It is being directed by a certain Joel Cohen. Okay. Not Ethan. This is the first film that they've not now, worked together which on. Which one is Francis McDormand married to? Not sure. Okay. But this is uh, Co- uh, Joel Cohen's directing from his own original script and shooting before the end of the year. And this will mark the first film without his directing, writing, producing partner and brother, Ethan. <laughs> I'm going to say that he, Joel is the one married to Francis McDormand. Could totally, be. totally making this up. And, you know, yeah. Google, you could prove us wrong. But, um, huh. Yeah, That's but I mean, I, I, there again, when I read that, it's, it's 
you know, not with this partner. Okay, so A, that's unique in its own standpoint. that They've not directed something separate from each other. So Joel doing it. Doing an original script of Macbeth, and then you land uh, Denzel Washington and, of course, Francis McDormand. Okay, thank you, Google. Yes, Francis McDormand is married to, to Joel. Joel. So this may be a little bit of a pet project for him. But to, yeah, there again, if you go for 30-plus years and it you're is. directing alongside your brother on everything, right. they share credit, they, they never split it out. Um, it's kind of interesting. So in it to be Macbeth, too, which is not something I would have expected the Coens, either well, of them, to really what? explore into. I wonder, and who knows, you know, who knows how the brothers work. Yeah. You know, you and I both enjoy their work. Um, but I wonder if it's because it's such a, you know, and they both share writing credit and directing mm-hmm. credit. But I'm wondering if because technically, you know, Macbeth has been done dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times, both film on stage, you know, people have tweaked it to be modern, you know, whatever. So I wonder if because there was so, I don't want to say little to do script wise, but basically the, the meat's there, you know, like the story's there. So I wonder if it was just kind of like Ethan's like, you know what? That's Come awesome. It's all you, man. That's awesome. But why don't you do it? Because you're totally you're like, you're, it's well, like, I don't think you need my help. Or I don't think we will. I don't think there's room for two of us. Like, I'll go work on our next script or something. Like, it it could know. be that. Or it could just be the fact that, you know, it's it's a, you know, to do something very out of, out of sorts for the Cone brothers in general. Maybe it truly is a real passion project for Joel. And Ethan just didn't really have that same passion for it because right. this is not typically the kind of film they've worked on together. Sure. So I don't know. Um, that is interesting. The the little sarcastic part of me could say, <laughs> so this will be an interesting way for us to find out which of the Cone brothers is really the better the director. Better director. <laughs> because if the movie's horrible, it's like, ah, well, that tells us something. Or which of the better the brothers is the better screenwriter. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so. I, because you, supposedly I've always heard that with the films, one of them kind of takes more of the lead right. in each film. Okay. But we don't really know which one because they're labeled as both directors and both writers all the time. Right. Sure. But I've always heard one kind of takes more of the lead in each film than the other. They just have a agreement to kind of always be together on these credits. Hmm. But this is the first time that it's really just one. So it is going to be kind of interesting to see how yeah. does a single Cone brother do uh, <laughs> when not supported or uh, co-listed with the brother. So Yeah, that, that's yeah. interesting. I thought so too. Hmm. Very interesting news today. Okay, so that's our news items. Chris, let's go ahead and try to wrap up the show with our recommendations. And again, just as a reminder, this is where Chris and I both feature one film that we want to recommend for whatever reason. But normally it's something where we've either had a chance to catch up with a film that maybe we missed when it first came out. It's available online. Maybe it's one that went straight to online. Maybe it's one that just maybe we didn't feel like got a lot of a lot of buzz when it came out or, or it could be any of those reasons. So, Chris, if it's okay with you, let me go ahead and jump in first, if that's all right. I'm going to sure. go ahead and do mine first, and you can you can end it up for us. Okay. My recommendation, um, I'm recommending for very specific reasons. I'm not going to say that the film as a whole uh, completely works, but I do think there's some elements of the film that are worth seeing, especially uh, for people who, who may be in certain stages of their life or, or, or have experiences with other things going on around them. The film is uh, Beautiful Boy. This mm. is a film that was just from last year. It stars uh, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. And it is a very realistic portrayal of a young uh, a son going through drug addiction. Okay. And the reason I'm recommending it is a couple, couple reasons. One, Timothy Chalamet is really good in this. Okay. Um, 
I do think you know he got some. Not I don't think he got Oscar nominated. I don't remember. I don't for a think, beautiful boy. For a beautiful boy, I, I, he did not. But he got a lot of other nominations and other other award ceremonies, and I think well warranted. He, it's kind of scary how good he is playing this part of a of a young boy that you know you see him from going from teenage years to like college age years, but he doesn't go to college. Okay. He falls into a drug addiction lifestyle, um, and it's. It's pretty harrowing. I mean, he he's really really good in this and okay. plays the part extremely well. Hmm. I'm also recommending the film because I think it's probably one of the more realistic portrayals we've seen in film of true drug addiction. Okay, where we're watching it from the standpoint of the father and okay. the father who feels both helpless. In all honesty, at points is kind of enabling it, hmm. um, you know, or enabling his his dependency anyway. Okay, and you feel for what they're going through. There's no easy answers. There's no quick solution. There's a lot of frustration as a viewer because you keep seeing these cycles of the same thing happening between the son and the father. And, but yet that's how it happens a lot of times. I mean, it's not a, Oh, we send him off to rehab and he'll get fixed. and He comes back and everything's great. Nope. That's not the way it works. And that's not the way it happened here in the film either. Hmm. So the film didn't stray away from showing us truly how frustrating and upsetting and, scary the whole situation is now i will say it's not a great film and that they do some stylistic choices with storytelling and playing with time that just do not work it actually complicates things a lot more than it needs to be Hmm. there's so many times i've found myself not really knowing what time period we're looking at and what the sequence of things are because it does make a difference in the story but the storytelling was really haphazard and just didn't really work as well and I, I think Steve Carell might have been a little miscast for this. Uh, I think I like him as an actor. Sure. And when he has roles that touch on dramatic roles, I think he does really well. But this is a full-on, no comedy, nothing light, pure dramatic role. And I just don't think he's quite built for that. Um, so it didn't work for me as well, his role in this. Um, hmm. But I'm going to say, I think for T- Timothy Chalamet, for just someone who, I mean, I, I, I hate saying this, but anybody who may be going through some of their own situations where children or family members are having drug addiction issues or even people you know or, or, or going through some really tough times working with your kids, you know, especially the kids as they become going into adulthood and you're worried about their future and what's, what's ahead of them. This is a tough watch, but I think it's probably one of the more realistic portrayals I've seen of what – some parents are actually dealing with and going through in this. So again, okay. I'm recommending with caveats, uh, sure. you know, I, I don't think it's a great film. I think it had some real issues in the pacing and storytelling side of it, but for the portrayal and for some of the messages it's trying to share and showing you a very accurate portrayal, I think it's really strong in those aspects. So anyway, okay. that's beautiful boy. It's available on Amazon prime. So if you are an Amazon prime member, you get it for free. Uh, otherwise, you know, you can rent it on iTunes, iTunes. or Amazon or anywhere else. So, Chris, what do you have to recommend for us here? So I'm going to recommend the latest film by Craig Zoller. And he made another film called Bone Tomahawk, which I believe I recommended. You did. A couple of episodes yes, back. I remember that. So this is his latest film. It played at a couple of festivals and then was released directly to online. So it's available, Amazon, iTunes, you know, the usual places as well. So it didn't get a theatrical release in the U.S. that I'm aware of, but it just was released March 22nd. All right. Read you a quick plot description. Two policemen, one an old timer, the other his volatile younger partner, find themselves suspended 
when a video of their strong-arm tactics becomes the media's cause du jour, low on cash and with no other options, these two embittered soldiers descend into the criminal underworld to gain their just due, but instead find far more than they wanted awaiting them in the shadows. Mm. So, you know, it's like a crime film, which, you know, he's done... He did a prison movie. He's done a Western. Now it's like a noir type film. Now, what is interesting to me are the two actors that he has as the two policemen, Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. Ooh. Um, So kind of an odd pairing. Apparently they were, they have worked together. They were in Hacksaw Ridge, which Gibson directed from a couple of years ago. Oh, that's true. He he wasn't, Gibson wasn't in it. But they haven't acted together. Right. Right. But that's an interesting pairing. I, I actually, the more I think about it, that's a fascinating pairing of actors. Yeah. And it's interesting. They have a good chemistry together mm-hmm. on screen. Um, and it's a reminder, you know, he's had, you know, well-publicized missteps yeah. in the public sure. eye. Mel Gibson has still a good actor. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. This is, I will also give the disclaimer since you gave some with yours. This is a very tough film. Mm. Um, it is dark. There yeah. is some humor in it, but you know, overall, it's very dark. It's very violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, right. Zoller makes kind of violent. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think all the films he's made so far have been pretty, pretty, uh, pretty harsh tough. on the violent side. But to me, it was an interesting investigation of you know crime and how it doesn't really say good guys, bad guys. It's like people trying to do the best they can, making some bad choices, but just I don't, it's and it consistently surprised you there were mm-hmm. things there were twists that kept happening and you kind of think okay yeah this is how the rest of this movie is going to go and nope it would change wow and then it would change again well um, i like that though yeah yeah, yeah. and i also say because I've, I've complained often um it's 159 minutes Ooh. which is long wow yeah um, but to me it didn't feel lo- that long hmm. it okay. really moved and it's not you know i would think people would think oh it's like an action movie it's not it's a lot of dialogue and a lot of things just kind of playing out. So, you know, don't go expecting like a huge action film, you know, with explosions and everything. Um, but it's, it's good. Um, it's one of, it's of the genre. It's one of my favorite films of that type to come out in a while. Actually, wow. when you and I discussed Widows, I remember feeling like I wanted a little more or mm-hmm, something with that mm-hmm. film. And even though this is a different type of film, um, it's still was kind of more what I thought I was going to get out of Widows. That's interesting sense. But um, the film <laughs> dragged across concrete, dragged which, um, across concrete. Kind of let you give a little bit of how it's going to be very gritty. Yeah. <laughs> um, Not one for the kids. <laughs> new, um, definitely an R. But uh, dragged across concrete. It's really well made. And what I'm interested to see too is this guy now has three films under his belt. I'm wondering if this one's going to kind of get him the groundswell of support or whatever that he his next film will actually be one for the theaters because honestly he's kind of like a new version a newer version of quentin tarantino you know tarantino would jump around between genres and kind of put his own spin on the western or put his own spin on the crime drama or put his own spin on a world war ii movie Mm. and this guy's kind of done the same thing where he did western prison movie now he's done like a you know thriller police drama thing so it's I'm curious to see what he would do next, but he definitely has a style and I'm interested to see 
how that plays out in his career and the next films he does. No, that's, that's interesting. I was just actually looking up him and kind of his filmography. I'm curious if he's working on anything else right now, you well, know, coming up and like what type of film it would be. I would love for him to do a science fiction film <laughs> because that would be yet another genre that, you know, I think would be interesting. It would definitely be a unique take on the genre. He also tends to like relatively long running times. Well, I was going to say the films have generally been long. Yeah. This one's two hours and 39 minutes. But uh, as far as other projects he's working on, it looks like right now, director-wise, doesn't have another one listed okay. coming up. So that's the three, Bone Tomahawk, Brawl, and Cell Block 99, and now Dragged Across Concrete. But he has written um, five films. Okay. Uh, the three, obviously, he directed. Sure. But he also wrote a film called Asylum Blackout in 2011 hmm. and Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich Whoa. in 2018. Whoa. Yeah. So just like this past year, he wrote that. That Now, he may have been one of the writers, maybe not the only writer. Yeah, there's two writers assigned to it. But still. Okay. That was was an interesting mix there. That is. Uh, But as far as director, he has just done these three. And um, yeah, but doesn't have any future projects listed, you know, as far as on IMDb or anything. So I don't know what he's working on next, but uh, Hmm. very, very interesting. Okay. Well, thanks for the recommendation. That may be one I have to check out even this weekend. Who knows? (laughs) Um, So that is our show. So we had our reviews of us and they shall not grow old. We did some movie news items about the latest from Joel Cohn. Still odd to say that. I know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we talked about Agnes Verda's passing and kind of a little remembrance of that. We also talked about the very interesting Elvis biopic that's being made that we're curious about now. And then our recommendations, Dragged Across Concrete, and mine was Beautiful Boy. Also, I'll mention with Beautiful Boy, great music. The music's oh, really good okay. in it. So. so with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Chris, I'm sure people will have some opinions uh, about some of the, the reviews we gave. Likely. So if so, how do you recommend they go about getting a hold of us to share those opinions? You can send us an email at info at the mesh.tv and mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line. And yes, share us your opinions. Also, if you happen to be on that service called iTunes and you're looking up our podcast, if you haven't already subscribed, that would be great. Also, if you could give us a star rating or even better, a star rating and leave some comments about hopefully how you like the show, that helps us reach more listeners. Yeah, it's actually a good point. I should guess I should say from a technical standpoint, if you're someone who had subscribed to the show in the past, and maybe you're listening to the show now through our website or somewhere else, and maybe you're not getting the subscription, we do need you to go and subscribe to the show again. And we're not doing that just to build our numbers. We honestly had to <laughs> kind of reset subscriptions when we did some changes with the network. Unfortunately, uh, it's not not what we wanted. But if you are not a current subscriber to the show, but you have been in the past and maybe you thought something was going wrong, uh, if you can go find us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or anywhere else, mainly iTunes is where I think the break happened. Uh, we'd love for you to resubscribe again so we can get you and make sure you get all the new episodes going forward as well. So thanks for doing that in advance. All right. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap everything up. And uh, we will look forward to having another episode out soon in the coming weeks as we review both some new films and talk about some uh, other films we want to recommend for you. So for Foot Candle Films, I'm Alan, and we'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. And that's Chris.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.